We spend all this money on a sound system that obviously Aline does not need. <laughs> Peter, do you even have her on when she sings? I mean, that's just an amazing, amazing voice. Um, I often say about preaching and about um, worship leading that the, the goal of both is the same. The goal of both of them is to get you into the presence of God and get out of the way. And worship team, you did an excellent job today. I want to commend you. Um, I want you to do that with me this morning as much as you possibly can. Uh, let me get out of the way. It's hard because I have to talk, but let me get out of the way for you this morning, and hopefully you can, you can get closer to God. That's kind of been our prayer this morning. When I, when I, I was going to actually take a little survey here just for kicks, but <clears throat> I'm not that organized. And, and uh, it would have had 300 and some responses, and it would have killed me to enter them on the computer and figure it out. But uh, it, it, don't cheat here. Just when I, well, I'm going to throw three words at you, and I want you to, uh, to think what the first thing that comes to your mind is. And I'm even going to ask you for some response. Why don't you cheat? Just, just don't, don't think about what I'm going. Don't look at the passage for today. Don't, don't do that. Just look at me. And first word is God. All right, anybody, just what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, anybody? Awesome. Ooh, got to go in in stereo here. Good and big. Just. Amazing. Say it again. Mysterious. Good, yeah. Great. Okay, I'm going to throw you another, another word. Again, don't try to think too much. Just let, let the first thing that comes to your mind. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Humble. Okay, great. Savior. Servant. Peaceful and son of man. Great. Okay. Last one. Again, don't think too much. Just let the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay? Holy Spirit. <laughs> Say it again. Calm. C-A-L-M. Oh, come. Come. Oh, okay. Okay. Great. Power. What you, what you trying to say? <laughs> Molly wants to say something up there. It's all right. I heard somebody, but I... What was that? Change. Okay, good. Mark, I couldn't have paid you enough to say what you said. Thank you, brother. It is interesting, because when you think of the three, God, we kind of have this image. I heard a majestic, awesome, mysterious, uh, uh, out there, and, and it's just... You see this picture of, of, of somehow, a, a, it's kind of sketchy in your mind, but it's a, a, a very wise-looking being. It's not actually human, but it's on a throne, and it's seated, it's in control. And then when you say Jesus, you see, the, you see God incarnate, but you see all these personal traits of God, but you see them in a, in a, uh, in a human way, and it's, it's so kind, and it's so loving, and it just almost, 
it's, you just want to be around that. And when you say, Holy Spirit, thank you, first thing you think of is, whoa, what is that? That is, that is, that is kind of different. Look out. <laughs> and you think power. And you, in, in some sense, it, 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 it drives a little bit of fear in you. If you're like most people, it has, you have a little bit of fear when you think of the phrase Holy Spirit. And I think that's a very common thing. I think there's two reasons why it's a common thing to have a little bit of an apprehension or a tentativeness about the Holy Spirit. The first one is bad experiences. You might have had friends or someone who are trying to, okay, if you just have this experience with God, then you'll be okay. And they try to cram you into a, a, a tradition or a system of thinking or whatever, if you just have this experience with the Spirit, this way of thinking or this emotional experience or whatever, then you'll be okay. And you've maybe had that experience and you've had that once. If you've ever had a real intense one of those with a friend or something, it is scary. And so from then on you say, okay, God, and, uh, God the Father and Jesus I like, but the Holy Spirit, only when I have to read about them in my day's devotional will I. And the other one is bad theology. There's bad theology about the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how in our churches we don't spend the time to really understand who the Holy Spirit is. J.I. Packer says, and I couldn't agree with this more, he says, bad theology, theology is nothing more than the study of God. Bad theology hurts people. And it does. It does. I loved when you said, come, when, when you, they said Holy Spirit. Because that should be the same reaction towards Jesus we should have towards the Holy Spirit. We should have that. That's the biblical response. But something's happened in our culture where we think that, you know, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll have bubble gum all over you because, you know, those kind of people meet in movie theaters and there's bubble gum on the floor and they roll around the floor. <laughs> and that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I got a couple shirts that have bubble gum on. No, 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 no. <laughs> and we think that about the Holy Spirit. And so we kind of have this, whoa. Listen, folks, we're in a series right now, Acts, that is about the Holy Spirit. It is the book of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit working through the church. After Christ physically left earth, it is about the Holy Spirit moving. And we are going into today the engine of the book of Acts. Chapter 2 will be there for the next five weeks or so. Chapter 2 is the engine of the book of Acts. What happens in chapter 2, the whole chapter, is what powers the rest of the book. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, don't wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Well, if you have your Bible, that's a great thing. But uh, <clears throat> we are going to get to Acts chapter 2. But before we get to Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at the first 13 verses and what, what is known as Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was released now along, uh, onto the, the, this early church that was still huddling in this, probably this, still in this upper room. They were huddling and they were afraid, and, 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 but yet they were stepping out in faith and they, you can only be courageous when you are afraid. Before we get there, because there's so much misconception about the Holy Spirit, we've got to spend about half our time this morning I just want to give you a little bit of a teaching on what is the Holy Spirit. 
And, and I hope this will be kind of a foundation for the rest of our study. So we're going to look at what, the, what happened in the Old Testament and then what happened, what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, and then we'll get to our passage for today. So it's a, kind of a long introduction before we get to there today, but, but just hang with me. Um, if you want to follow along in your Bible on these first passages, that's fine. Probably easiest just to see them on the screen. There wasn't enough room on your insert to put them all there. What I want to look at first of all is what did the Holy Spirit do in the Old Testament? Remember Jesus said, and we'll see this in a little bit, that the Spirit was coming. So there's something new that happened, but there was a way of acting in the Old Testament where the Spirit was moving. And uh, it's a great study, one of which I've had to constantly be cutting down, cutting down, cutting down, but I, I think I got it to a point where it's manageable size here now. And picked out about four or five things here that the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament. First of all, the Holy Spirit is in the second verse of the Bible. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit is in the second verse of the Bible. Genesis 1-2 talks about that the Spirit was involved in creation. Genesis 1 verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You can see it throughout the Old Testament, you can see it in the New Testament, the Spirit of God was involved in creation. What else did he do? One of the things that the Spirit did is he showed God's power, showed his awesomeness through doing miracles, through doing signs and doing wondrous things. Judges 14, verse 6 is an example of this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he more, might have tore, as, excuse me, as he might have torn a young goat. Now, <laughs> somehow, this guy's strong enough so a young goat he could easily rip apart. But something, not a lion. The lion takes the spirit of the Lord coming upon him in power. And then he can... Rip the lion apart. Anybody with PETA, don't call me. It's in the Bible. I didn't make this stuff up. One of the main functions of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was to come upon leaders, and you can see it through the kings and through others. You can see him coming upon the leaders to strengthen them. Judges 3, verse 10. The judges were a series of leaders, and it says, this, um, and one of them, it says in verse 10 of chapter 3, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishathiam, king of Ammon, into the hands of Othniel, who was this judge, who overpowered him. In other words, this came upon, the Spirit of God came upon this judge and he was able to conquer this land. In, in Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh is talking about Joseph. If you remember Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph in the multicolored coat and all that, Joseph is now lifted up to a point of leadership and he's, everything he touches seems to work. And it's not because Joseph's a great guy. Joseph's not necessarily such a great guy. If you really read the Joseph narrative carefully, Joseph is, you know, a little arrogant. Comes to his, I mean, I got a young son and two older sons. And you know, he comes to him and says, hey, guess what my dream was? You were all bowing down to me, you know? kind of sounds like my uh, third son, but I'm not naming any names. <laughs> but in Genesis 41, Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? That's what made Joseph special. That's why everything touched Joseph. Uh, it just went off, and, and it was like it was blessed. And then in Numbers, my favorite passage on, on uh, the Spirit dwe uh, dwelling in leaders to, to help them lead Moses is stressed out. 
He's got at least a million, some experts say up to two million people that he's overseeing, and he's judging these simple affairs. You know, they have these squabbles about different things, and Moses is settling them. Moses' father-in-law comes and says, man, dude, what you are doing is stupid. Just get a bunch of other people to do that kind of stuff. You can handle the hard stuff. And then the Lord says to Moses about these people that he's going to bring, that these elders, these 70 of them. The Lord said to Moses in Numbers chapter 11, bring me 70 of the Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Make them come to the tent of meeting so that they may stand there with you. I will come down and with you there and I will take of the spirit that is in you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. So that, that's a huge deal in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament. And it's in the New Testament too. I pray that for our president. Uh, I pray that for anybody leading a Bible study in our church. I always pray that. Spirit, give him, give him strength to do these things. What else did he do? In the Old Testament, he gave prophets words to save from God. When, when a prophet would speak and say, thus saith the Lord, that was from the Spirit of God. From 1 Samuel 10, verse 6, God is speaking to King Saul at the time, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy, you will say things that I want you to say with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Oh, I love that passage. You will be changed into a different person. No one yet, uh, no one, anytime the Spirit came on people for these acts too, no one was like freaking out. These were like, cool, okay? Even in the New Testament, we're going to see that. It is cool. It is not a matter of, whoa. Culturally, we bring the, whoa. The Spirit also gave extraordinary abilities to do ordinary work. One of the interesting things, if you read Leviticus, <clears throat> often, Or other passages of the Old Testament where it talks about making the, the temple and other things. It can be tough to read those passages. But there's an interesting part in there where there's these artisans. And God says about these artisans in Exodus chapter 31. He says, see I have chosen Bela's, Beza, yeah, him, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God with skill and ability and knowledge and all kinds of crafts. He's going to be a craftsman on this project, this temple. And you think, God, a guy with a chisel and a guy with a, a, you know, a nail gun or whatever, spirit of, spirit of the Lord? I mean, but yeah, there it was, spirit of the Lord to do these ordinary works. I'm glad the spirit of the Lord was on you, Michael, when I was standing next to you when you had the air gun this summer um, <clears throat> when we fixed this stage. Now, <clears throat> that's, what, that's what it was like in the Old Testament, basically. The Old Testament starts to talk about that something new is going to happen, though. It's like a dam. Have you ever seen a dam that, that holds water? And, and there's this big reservoir behind it. Now, obviously, the purpose of most dams is to generate electricity. And so the way they do that is they allow some water to go through the dam. And it, those little turbines go and makes electricity. That's what's happening in the Old Testament. The Spirit of God is doing activities, but something's going to happen, and we're going to see it in Acts 2, where the dam is going to go, whoo. And it's promised about in the Old Testament, many places. This is the hardest place I had to cut down, but I cut it down to three passages. Isaiah 44, 3 
says, God is speaking, and he says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. This whole concept of it being poured like water, like a stream, like a river. Then Ezekiel in chapter 36 talks about what the Spirit's going to do. And it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Do you see that? That's a flood. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to bring, by the way. That's it, right there, this stuff. Cleansing, impurities, taking away that heart of stone that you have and replacing it with a new spirit, a new heart, a heart of flesh. It says a soft heart. It wants to put your spirit in so that you will follow God and delight in doing it. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to bring. Then a passage from Ezekiel 37 uh, where it's very clear the Holy Spirit is coming to bring life into dead places. Ezekiel 37. Kind of long here, but it is too cool of a story, so I had to include the whole thing. The, the valley of dry bones. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel is saying, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Picture this now. Valley. There it is. Bones everywhere. He led me to and fro among them. So, so in this vision, Ezekiel's like walking among the bones. Got it? And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. <laughs> I'm not sure why it's more significant that they're dry, but these are like really dead, okay? They're not just freshly dead. These are really dead bones. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Now, this is chapter 37 of Ezekiel. By this time, Ezekiel's known never to answer one of God's questions uh, straight up because what God's asking him is a trick question. He's tricksy. And uh, Ezekiel says, Oh, sovereign Lord, you, you know. <laughs> then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put my breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them. And skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you out from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Most important thing you can know about what the prophecies were in the Old Testament concerning this coming of the Spirit was this. It was going to give you life. It was going to give you life. Think of your very best ever day. Your very best ever day. And just think of what you just felt so alive during that day. I don't know what it, what it was for you, but it was something just made you feel alive. That's what he's talking about here that the Spirit of God would come and make you feel alive. Now, I hope that that takes down some of your walls of thinking, oh, man, he's going to want me to roll on the ground to be filled with the Spirit. No! I want you to open your heart so that you will allow God to fill you with life. Now, what did Jesus tell his followers? Because now it's getting awfully close to Spirit Day. It's getting awfully close. In John 7, he's talking to his Disciples, he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit with whom, excuse me, with whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The dam had not broken yet. In John 16 he says, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a sacrifice to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks, none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe in me in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer in regard to judgment because the Prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than I, you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. He's a guide. He's a guide for you. Jesus said to them, his disciples, as time was getting near in John chapter 20, he says, and again Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. Weird phrase, huh? He breathed on them. He blew on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason that that's interesting, we lose it in the English. But in, in the original language here in the Greek, the word for spirit is pneuma, which... You know, pneumatic tools means wind, means breath. It's the same thing. And he's saying, that's what's going to happen. It's going to come like a wind on you. Receive it. In Luke 24, right before he's, um, 
right, right after he's resurrected and he comes uh, back to them, he says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high, which brings us to Acts, finally. Acts chapter 1, where he tells them, they ask him, Lord, are we going to get the kingdom now? And he says, it's not for you to know the time or the places, but, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I hope with that little buggy ride through Genesis to Acts, that's as far as we went, did for you, was to make you want to go, I want that. I want that. There's nothing hoogie-boogie here. This is life from God Almighty. I want that. I want guidance like that. That is cool. Now you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. That's the longest introduction I've ever done. That's true. I had a three-week introduction once. That's true. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Pentecost is one of the three feasts of a Jewish year where they would have all be gathered back in Jerusalem. The other one would have been Passover, which happened 50 days previous. And the other one would have been the Feast of Tabernacles, where they all came together. That was the, the one that they did at the end of the season, the, also called the ingathering. At the end of the um, harvest season, they would have celebrated what God had done. There was three times where everybody came to Jerusalem. So this, Jerusalem is packed at this time with people. And the disciples are, uh, are all together in one place. Now, who is the they and who is the all? It's not exactly clear. But I'm just going to be, follow, hope that Luke is good at grammar. The last they and the last all that he referred to, the last pronoun would have been the 120 of them. So I'm going to make the assumption, and as I've read, most people do, that there was 120 people together. That'd probably be like this section here, together in one place, one big room. Maybe that upper room they were still in, because they said they fit there before. And they were gathering, and they were being obedient to what Jesus said. He said, wait. It had been 10 days now. I know compared to the other years and years and years, and thinking back to the prophecies of Isaiah, that's nothing but it still had been 10 days in downtown Baghdad. Remember, Jerusalem is a very dangerous place for an early Christian to be. They'd just gotten rid of the leader. 10 days and they're still praying. They're still waiting. Verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, you got it. The best advice I can ever give, give, give you about the Bible is read it. A friend of mine called Lewis Hill gave me this advice. Read the Bible like it's true because it is. And just picture yourself sitting there. There's this many people, 120 or so, and you're sitting there, and all of a sudden it says, a sound like, so it wasn't a blowing wind. There wasn't, hair didn't move or anything. It was just the sound of like a violent wind, or this same word is used to describe the roaring sea. So you're sitting in this room, maybe you're praying, and, and maybe they were like, you know, quiet prayers, so it's quiet. And then all of a sudden, it's a sound, I mean, it's woo. I wish I could do it better. Peter, turn me up. Um, <laughs> it's just this, wah, it just happens. And, and the phrase suddenly means, I mean, 
change your diaper. I mean, it was, it was, it happened. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be, and again, this is all kind of like, okay, we're going to do our best here to describe this. It's kind of like tongues of fire that separated into like 120 different places and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they're in this house and they start to speak in other languages. Most of the people in this room we're going to see in just a few seconds are Galileans, which are pretty simple people. And they start to speak in these other languages. They just start speaking in these other... <laughs> if you speak French and I just offended you, I don't even have any idea what I just said. So I, you know... They start speaking in these other languages. And now what, what do the neighbors think about this? Look at verse 5. Because this noise was loud enough so that the neighbors heard. Now, they were, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They were there for, for the Pentecost feast, for what was also called the uh, uh, Feast of the uh, um, Unleavened Bread. Nope, excuse me, harvest, weeks, or first fruits were the other names of, of them. And so they were all there. They were all there for this big festival. When they heard this sound, so they heard it too. It was a big sound. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. These people come from all over the known world at the time, and they come up to this door, and the guy says, you know, how's it going, Sam, in his language? Actually, that's not what he said. They said something else. It's utterly amazed. They asked, are not these all men, are, excuse me, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Now, I got I to gotta give you a little something here. I, I, I was doing some research this week, and it used the phrase here that what, what that meant there was, was they were kind of putting down these Galileans. In fact, one quote I got here is great. They, they considered the Galileans to be a backward locale in which... And here's where I don't know this word. L-A-R-Y-N-G-A-E-L. Lingurio. Okay, I can, I can get it out of the context. Uh, I should have looked it up. Uh, backwards locale in which the lingurial sounds were swallowed. In other words, they kind of talked funny. Dude, I don't know what lingurial sounds are, but I came from their place. That's the Hibbing, Minnesota, man. <laughs> when I read that, I went, what's up, eh? Yeah, you go down there about to, you go down the street till you hit tar and then uh, hit tar. Every road is dirt, you know. Go tell you hit tar. Take a left there at Sally's tree. The horse will be right by. Yeah, there you go. That's the Galileans, <laughs> and they're speaking French eloquently, or whatever language. Then how is it that each of us, verse 8, how is it each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arab. I mean, we're talking everywhere. These people from everywhere. And they're hearing these languages in their own language and their own native dialect of that language. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So they weren't just saying, hi, Sam, how are you doing? They're saying, God is great. Look at what he's done. 
Look at the risen Christ. They're taking all these wonders of God. Now, picture yourself being a neighbor to these people. Man, they fit a lot of people in there, you know? Every day, all these people go in that house, you know? And all of a sudden, wham, you hear this noise, and you come outside, and these people who are native Galileans, they're kind of hicks, are speaking the wonders of God in your native tongue. You're going to have one or two responses that's exactly what they had. The first response, verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? It's a great question. Because obviously, this is not something you see every day. So God was doing something here, and he wanted to get people's attention. What does this mean? The second response is people just want to take what God is doing and just say, no big deal. Some of them, however, it says, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Now, I don't know what kind of wine makes you speak in other languages. <laughs> it's good wine, man. <laughs> But, I mean, I mean, it would, it, you know, you, you quick reach for something. You know, they're probably saying, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. But you quick reach for something to try to explain this. Oh, man, must, must be the drugs or something. I don't know what's going on. I have a friend who um, is a very close friend of mine, and we were roommates in college, and we both were involved in a ministry to reach others and about... Uh, 14 years ago or so, he decided to turn his back on Christ and no longer follow him. And um, we still get together. We talk a lot. We we're, we're still remain friends, and I get opportunities to talk with him about things that are going on in my life. And, and he, loves to, he loves to talk. And um, this particular day, we we're going to have lunch right at Lee and Chin down here in 9th and 2nd. And uh, I had just gotten off the phone from Neil Feldhahn. Neil called me and said, Trek, are you sitting down? I hate when people say that. By the way, don't start your conversation with me like that. And I said, no, but I will. And so I sat down. And he said, um, I just want to let you know that Allie Moore, who went in for surgery for thyroid cancer, has been in, it's a 45-minute procedure. She's been in for four hours. I said, oh, no. He said, Trike, they can't find the cancer. They've been looking for four hours. They can't find anything. They're going to start removing her small intestine here soon. Made that up. <laughs> and I had that sense like I was in the presence of God, just like, no, there was cancer. They did a biopsy, they did a, a, a special kind of biopsy. There was cancer, and it was gone. God healed, and it was gone. And it was an awesomely cool and kind of like, what does this mean kind of moment. I just got off the phone. Matter of fact, I was late to meet my buddy, and I went with my buddy. You know what the first thing he said was? I must have been wrong on the biopsy. They were drunk on wine. There are three responses to the Holy Spirit. There are three responses that you see in this passage. One is like the believers who are praying and saying, 
I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One was people who yet didn't know Christ, but are saying, what does this mean? Tell me more. And we're going to see next week, Peter's going to tell them what it means. And some are mocking and saying, go get another pack of bubblegum on you. You're a religious wacko. Even though all the evidence leans that way, doesn't fit in my box. I'm not going to put it there. Where are you this morning? Not where were you last week? Where were you a year ago, 10 years ago? Where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? Which one of those three do you put your cat, would you plant yourself in? Are you willing this morning to be like the disciples and say, oh, Spirit, we want you to come and to give us life? Or are you at a point in your spiritual journey, and that's, we, hope is a place designed where you can ask questions about your faith. You might be saying, whoa, what does this mean? That's a great question. Don't just leave it there. Follow it up. I pray no one in this room is saying that they're, they're drunk on wine. I'm praying that no one is saying, ah, I don't care. Where, where are you at this morning? Where am I at this morning? Are you open to the Spirit leading? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up in just a moment, and we're going to close with a couple, couple songs. During those songs, there'll be a few of us down front. If you want to just pray with someone, you can do it where you're at too, but if you'd like to pray with someone, you could do that during those songs. You could do it after the service. We'll remain down front. It'll just be a time for you to respond to God uh, through what you've of what you experienced this morning. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, you are good. And you are. And you certainly have your work cut out to make these dead bones alive again. And I don't mean the people in front of me. I mean myself. And so, God, I pray that you would do that work continually in our lives to take dry bones and make them alive. Lord, I pray that right now there are people in this room who are, for whatever reason, trying to, uh, Scripture talks about quenching the Spirit, holding it back, saying, God, I don't want you to work in my life. God, that this moment, even right now, that they put that arm down and they would allow you to come and to, to work in their lives. Lord, that you'd break us. Lord, you can only fill that which is empty. And so I pray if there's anything else in our lives, if there's sin we have to repent of, if there's other loves in our life that come before you, whatever it is, God, even during these songs, would you bring them to our mind and convict us so that we could empty ourselves of them? God, for those in this room who for the first time in their lives are, are starting to investigate who Christ is and they're asking, what... What can this mean? Lord, I pray that you would show yourself. Show yourself, God. Show yourself as the awesome, mighty, marvelous, kind, loving, and yet just God. And God, I pray for, for those of us in the room, God, who are at a point where we just want to put our hand up and say, ah, they're drunk. Oh, God, you promised that you will take the heart of stone out and put a heart of flesh. And that's that heart of stone that just rejects what you're trying to do and pushes you away. And so I pray, God, that even now, even now you'd break through 
You'd break through those, those tough areas with a big hammer if necessary. So Lord God, come as we worship you, worship you in response. It's the only proper way. We pray in Christ's name.